Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is a journey into the brilliant mind of El Perez. I've learned over the years that sometimes you just need to surrender and let things unravel. And that is exactly what we did in this conversation. Elle generously lets us into their world from the early but formative days as a Bronx punk to the ways that their art has shifted strategies and metaphors and is now kind of preoccupied with exploring subtle and visceral moments of emotion and power. We talk about the profound love and intimacy that is the lifeblood of their art and how threads and relationships between types of images and modes of working bring about new gestures in photography. Elle is a master of imaging things that are difficult or impossible to photograph. They do that so boldly by embracing the edges, the things that are undefinable and unboundaried. The things that are unresolved, the things that are unknown, the things that make me uncomfortable, the things that I don't get, those are the things I need to be focusing on and like thinking about and also pushing myself to like kind of work through or explore. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. El Perez is an artist working primarily with photography. They've had solo exhibitions at MoMA PS1, 47 Canal, and Commonwealth and Council. Their work has also been exhibited at the Venice Biennale, the Brooklyn Museum, the Barbican, and the Whitney Biennial. In addition to their own practice, they're also the Assistant Professor of Art, Film, and Visual Studies at Harvard University. Elle lives and works in Brooklyn. One thing I was curious about is when did you realise that the world that you occupy, kind of your individual experience and community, could be art? I think when I went to college, I didn't really understand what it... I think I was trying to understand what it would mean to like be an artist. And people weren't I felt like there was something really special in the pictures that I was making in the Bronx but people didn't really see them as art and I think at the time that was fair because of a lot of what was maybe like popular on you know burgeoning social media which was these kind of like party photos and they had a very similar aesthetic to them um but I think it was just like a medium for me to kind of start to get interested in certain things. And so I was sort of like, oh, I guess art looks different than what I make. So let me try and figure out what that is. And then by the time I got to grad school, I was starting to have some realizations around style and around form that were helping me sort of maybe understand like format, I think also just like the way that I was structuring projects and like who I was kind of structuring them for. And like, I started to realize maybe some things about like the way that I had, what I had been exposed to or taught in undergrad. And I was also very conscious about, you know, 
not being exposed to artists of color, which now it's like, it's hard to even imagine what it was like in, you know, 2007 or something, mm-hmm. but there wasn't as much knowledge, generalized knowledge around, you know, artists of color in the way that there are today. There were certain like there were certain people like Lorna Simpson, like you would learn about Lorna Simpson and you would learn about Carrie Mae Weems, but that would often be like the extent of it. And I was just kind of like, I feel like there's got to be more people just because I knew that there were more people. Like, I just yeah. There's more, you know? Yeah. So I also was sort of at the same time, like very interested in sort of seeking that out for, for myself, but without um, maybe all of the, the models in place yet. So I think, I think it was kind of like in grad school, I did have this moment where I had been very frustrated at what I had perceived to be the difference that I perceived that there was a difference between the way that some of my peers who were, you know, photographing the conversations I really felt around what some of my peers were photographing and what I was photographing and like the difference in like who those people were and the way that that, that, that then would influence the critique. And it became, it was something that I, and also who was looking at it. And that was something that I just really was kind of thinking a lot about. And then at a certain point, I don't know, it, I guess there wasn't really a certain point. It's been more of sort of like a journey in a journey in, internal and external recognition. I think internally, I had a sort of anxiety around it introduced at certain moments like college and graduate school. And then there was, there are other moments of like external recognition where initially it would be really fresh. It was, you know, really frustrating that I would do these projects on, because at that time I was working in sort of defined projects and I would do a project that was about queerness and it would be like, people would really respond to it. It would get a lot of play. They would put it on, you know, magazines or like not like online magazines or like blogs around like, Mm. you know, the 2010s that were like oriented toward photography. And you'd, you'd really just email them your pictures and they would say, great. And then they would like put it in a little write up. And then, you know, that was sort of how you got your name spread around. So that type of external recognition would happen so much more for like work that I was doing that was like oriented on like being queer as opposed to work that I was doing around like being like a punk from the Bronx. (laughs) And so it was interesting when then that flipped and now people are like a lot more interested in like the work about being a punk from the Bronx. But I think those kind of, and I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like, I'm like, nothing I ever do will ever be as earnest or honest as like those first pictures. And I'm just in a sense, in a way I've just been waiting for people to catch up to my own realization of that, which I've held since college. Like people would say negative things about the work and I would just be like, you're stupid. Like, <laughs> like it just, for whatever reason, it just never hit nothing that anyone could say could ever dissuade me from that subject and from how much I loved that subject. And so I think that was something that was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's, you know, and so because of that, that's always been sort of like my, like North Star or something in how I orient myself to how I think about like my own work and, you know, the notion of like, of art or something, because I think the, the reality of like, 
what making work that means something to people, how that feels and what that does and what that looks like. And, you know, when it's born of like a really sincere and engaged, you know, period of time spent and understanding, I think knowing what that feeling felt like first, nothing could ever, it, it almost created, it created like too strong of a foundation for it to ever really be in question. So, so I feel like there are points in my life where I did have to sort of, and there were very important points in my life where I did have to kind of like be exposed to other things and, you know, put them up against my own experience and question my own experience and like question like what, what art was for me and like come back to it multiple times and like mature through that. But when I came back to it was always coming back to that understanding as opposed to developing a new understanding, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It's interesting because obviously so much of your work has been this sort of co-creation with friends or family or lovers or your community. That's always been so Mm -hmm. central, literally from day one, as you just kind of explained. And, you know, I know you've talked before about this sentiment of kind of, I love you is in many ways, like Mm. your distilled Mm. artist statement, because the photographs are born from such love and intimacy, which evidently, as you just described, was so uh, visceral to you, even back then. Can you talk a little bit about why that's such a life force for you in the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's so interesting because I'm thinking I'm right now I'm like looking at the project that I'm kind of putting together for the show that I'm having in the spring at the gallery that I work with 47 Canal. I had been really kind of, I, I just hadn't, I've been photographing. So a little bit about that project, like I, it's a lot of things, but one of the things that I have been doing is photographing my teammates from this like Muay Thai gym that I joined in very early, like late 2018, early 2019. At first I wasn't photographing them because I sort of wanted to do, I didn't, I didn't want to just make pictures of fighters. Like I was like, that just seems to much like a project or something and I and I also kind of I think desperately needed something away from from art at that moment because I had like that moment in my life I had just I just had like a really bad breakup and I had I was making work for the Whitney Biennial and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that and what what I wanted to say with it also wanted to like just have something that was also outside of like teaching and outside of it. So I, so I joined this Muay Thai gym and I was like, I'm not photographing it. Not in like an adamant way. Like I'll never do it, but just like, I'm not doing that right now. And, and then I got very kind of close to the people that, you know, over the last three years, like I've gotten very kind of close to, to the other people who are, at this gym and seeing them through a lot of, through their fights, through their first fights. And I was supposed to have my first fight right when COVID, COVID happened. So I had almost, I was just about to start fight camp, which is essentially like a six week long intensive process where you basically like are at the gym for like two hours to three hours every day, like doing cardio, doing technical drilling, doing um, sparring, doing pad work with the coach where your coach is basically like you feel like your coach is trying to kill you you're just like doing this really intense thing and 
you have to kind of work up to it. And it was interesting because my coach, like who's this amazing woman, uh, crew, Natalie Foos, like she had, she has like a very incredible sense of ethics around like her gym, which is really, I was, I really gravitated toward because it was very much organized around like I'm realizing now, like these kind of DIY principles, you know, I grew up in where it's a community, you're finding your place in that community. Part of the way that you find your place in that community is by getting involved and by, you know, by participating and by doing things. So, you know, for instance, one of her rules for when you're ready to join sparring, like, which is essentially when you go like weekly practice where you do controlled but free-flowing like fighting with your teammates and you do it for like three rounds you spend with someone and you're fighting and it's not that you're unpredictable but it is that you have free range to do what you would like to do in that space and so they would like you to be a predictable person in that space they want to know who you are before you know you're unleashed for three minutes on another person (laughs) you know like it's like it's you want to know who everybody is and you want to know um their temperament you want to know their style and you want to know you know also like what their you know vulnerabilities are and what like if you have a bad ankle or if you have a bad knee or if you you know you can't get hit in the head and so it's it's a relationship that it's something that like requires a sort of negotiated relationship that is you know care is the way that she sees it part of you know the the requirement for that that experience to happen in an ethical way and i've been to other gyms that don't have that sense of ethics or who will throw you in to you know to sparring immediately because you know what you're doing and it's like you know the you're there and you know who you are, but you don't even know the person's name sometimes who you're sparring against. And that is like scary. That's actually kind of scary because you don't know what they're capable of. You don't know if they have control. You don't know if like any of this. So she, like one of her things is that she wants you to ask for help. And so I had been like, you kind of offer something and then you also ask for help. So it's not just that you give service, it's also that you ask something from the community. And so that was a real, when she kind of explained that to me, because I think, I can't remember what I asked for. I think I asked if I could maybe use, if I could photograph the one of the fights because I was doing a, a public art fun project at the time. And I was like, oh, it would be really cool to actually have like a female gym owner, like on one of these billboard like these um bus stop posters that were going to be like around new york city and i was like we could put one by the gym that'd be really cool and it could also like work as advertisement for your business and she was like yeah i would love to do that and also like you just passed your like final sparring test like you're going to come to sparring on saturday and i was like oh okay like i didn't what was the test and she was like well you asked you asked the gym for help and i was like that's so interesting that that was like your number three thing that i needed i needed to be technically proficient I needed to offer to help. And then I also needed to like ask for help. So I hadn't really thought about the, what you just made me realize is that I hadn't really thought about the way that you develop a kind of care and love for the people that you're, that you're fighting, essentially that you're working on fighting with and why maybe I had been, at a certain point, I started to feel like I could photograph 
at that at the gym like and I started to feel and recently she's actually moving back to France and she is um, moving with her partner and so the gym is closing and so I've been doing a lot of photographing at the gym and we had our last round of fights amateur fights where three of the fighters then went up for you know to kind of continue their amateur records and so we were working toward that as a gym and then also you know, just kind of being with each other and the kind of physics, the physical visceralness of the space and all of that. And, and it was interesting because like, I, when I was fight, I was photographing fights recently, I was like, oh, I don't care about these other fighters, like fights. Like I, I'm actually only interested in the people that I have these close relationships with. And I want to make these kind of like portraits of them at different moments in this process because of you know, I'm realizing like my, my love and my care for them. I hadn't quite articulated that, although I had felt it maybe. And so that I think is, I think for me, it's like, it's about a kind of connection. Like it's about a kind of way of looking at someone, but also that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the what the representation that you're going to make is only positive or something or only in a positive moment because, you know, for these fighters, like the two of these fighters, like, or two of the portraits that I was really interested in, like both of them lost their fights. And so I was kind of like, okay, like, I still want to make this portrait with you like after your fight, <laughs> but it's a really tender moment. <laughs> you know, like that is like a really tender spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because you're still you're high on the adrenaline, but you also are like severe, you know, you're deeply disappointed in some cases, and you're also just like, you know, you're, you know, and you're also hurt, like you're also physically hurt. And like that hurt is starting to set into your body. And, you know, you're also like, you've, you also haven't had like, you know, a cookie in like seven weeks, you know? And so at that moment, you're just like, somebody, please, God, just give me some like, like fried chicken or something (laughs) like before I like (laughs) explode, you know? And at the same time, you can't eat too much of it because you're going to get sick. So you're just like in this really vulnerable space. And so, you know, after each of their fights, I was kind of like, Hey, like if you would still like to make this picture, like we can, we can go and do it. I would love to go and do it. And so both of them, um, you know, all three of them actually were like, yes, let's go, let's go make this, let's go make this picture. And so like 20 minutes after like, you know, a a crushing defeat in nine minutes that you've worked like nine weeks for, you know, like we're able to kind of have this like emotional connection because we already had it because all the work for that moment was already done over the course of like three years of getting to know someone and three years of getting to know someone's intention and, you know, seeing pictures and having, and I'd already photographed their smokers like two years before. So they'd already, they already have images that of themselves made by me that they have a whole Google drive full of. So it was kind of like, you know, I think, I think that relationship formed the possibility for this picture that I could take, like I could just do. And I thought about, I was like, Oh, I mean, you know, I don't need to like, especially now that I'm becoming more and more a part of this community, like of the broader kind of community, like fighting community, I don't need to, you know, I could just set up like a photo booth or something. Like I don't need to like 
train with somebody for like two years to get one portrait. <laughs> you know, it seems like a little absurd, but, um, but it also doesn't have the same weight, like, and it might look similar to another person, but it, uh, I don't know if it would look the same to me. And I guess like that is, and I don't know if it would have the same kind of like um, feeling for me. And I don't know if I would know that I had achieved or really shown somebody, you know, because I think one of the things that my partner Ashley always says about the photographs that I make of her is that she, cause I've, you know, had a lot of conversation, a lot of conversations about photographing her uh, with her and um, how she feels about it and what she thinks about it and what the, you know, what her experience of it is immediately and what her experience of it is afterwards and what her experiences of it a year and what her experience of it is after, um, you know, after the picture even gets shown to other people or when it's out in the world or things like that. And so, um, we've had a lot of conversations about that. And one of the things that she always says is that she feels like she always learned something about herself from the pictures that I take of her. That was something that was like extremely meaningful for me to hear. And I think if I don't know the person and I don't have some relationship to them, and I don't have a kind of, um, you know, maybe it is that love for them. Like then I don't know if I'm showing, I don't know if I've peeled back a layer that is different than the layer that they would show to the world. I'm looking at these two portraits right now and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like I have, they're not just photographs to me and they're not just objects. And, but I think I also simultaneously have, you know, the game that I play for myself is playing between that intense, effective, experience that I'm having and also having to hold it at a distance and assess it for the formal components of the image. And so I think that's like where, you know, that's the kind of game that I'm playing with myself. And then the images, you know, also have another kind of relationship. They, they, they sort of act as a kind of um, touchstone between me and this person also as a kind of visual record of our relationship as well. You just answered my next question in that question. So I'm going to skip that oh, cool. because you phrased it in a way which was so perfect. There's no point in me even like unpacking it more. I mean, yeah, it was something I was so curious about, that space between your tension making the work the moment the emotion the co-collaboration like you just really unpacked all that so perfectly one of the things that initially drew me to your to your work years ago was the way that you kind of constellate multiple aspects of queer life to evoke a kind of utopia while you're also sort of rehistoricizing our community which has in many different ways suffered sort of mass erasure and while I think it would be very reductive to define your work as representation because that is it is so so much more but it was really radical for me at that time to see queer love to see non-binary folk to see the trans masculine community like all these elements that I saw within my own life and my own community um, but I never saw in culture. I, that that was mm. that was so important uh, and like the perfect introduction mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, 
but there are still so many tropes of the representation of queer life yeah. and trans people and, and and often you know they're pictured drowning in sadness even now mm. even mm. now when i feel like we feel like there is representation happening and i guess i'm curious just personally how you think and feel about the representation of the community whether you want to talk to your work Oof. or or generally yeah that's so interesting cuz i teach because I teach college, I have this like relationship to like youth culture or like youth perception. Like I have this kind of like, like experience of sort of being a witness to like the current, there are like thoughts and opinions in a way that feels sometimes like being in that one scene in a clockwork orange where like, you know, he's got his like eyelids peeled back and he's just watching like everything kind of flash in front of his eyes. And and it's so interesting because I feel like the, you know, the my students like often have expressed a kind of frustration with like a head like a hegemony of like having to be happy mm-hmm. and having overwhelmingly like positive like just like that everything is now you have to be like positive about your queerness and you everything is great and there's no questions and they feel like you know everything's like (laughs) fine in this way that they're just like it doesn't feel like that like that's not what it feels like right now like I'm 19 I still have questions Mm -hmm. so it's interesting because I'm like you know and often actually they're frustrated by like the work of like me like not maybe I don't know if they, I don't know how they feel about my work because nobody has directly been like, your work makes me feel terrible. (laughs) But they've talked about, but they have talked about other people who are my peers and that, you know, I had like a really interesting like experience once in the classroom where we were looking at the work of like one of my peers who I like adore, you know, and, and one of my students was like, wait, um, you know, how old is this artist? And I was like, oh, I think, you know, I think they're like 35, you know? And they were like, I was like, why? And they're like, oh, that makes sense. This is that this would be the work of an older generation. Oh my God, I just died. (laughs) I I mean, when I tell you, I was like, (laughs) I was like, stop the class. (laughs) I was like, pause, 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 people, pause. I was like, please tell me what you mean. I was like, please say something. <laughs> please say something else right now. I was like, what do you mean an older, how do you, I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you know, like this work is very much like, it's so like, there's no shame in it. There's like no shame at all. And I was like, that's so interesting. And they were like, yeah, totally. And the other kids were like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. And I was like, oh my God, like what's happening right now. And then they were like, yeah, and it feels like so much work from, you know, this particular generation or moment of photographers is so insistent on there being, like, no shame and so insistent on there being, like, these sort of notions of happiness or of acceptance or of just kind of no no questions or something and they're like we don't feel that way like we don't feel that way at all (laughs) and I was like oh this is very interesting like okay we ended up having this conversation about like how 
the sort of overwhelming presence or sort of projection of queer life for, you know, that generation, for my generation, for the generation that's kind of right above me was so like extraordinarily negative that it really kind of created this like backlash where people were like, no, we're going to create these like positive and affirmative images that show like us being fully formed human beings. That's really all we're trying to do here. It's yeah. like just to, like you know, it's not really it, when you really break it down, it's just like it's just like claiming a humanity, you know? And it's like then the question is like why you know, it's amazing when you're so successful that the question then that becomes like claiming your the rest of your humanity has to do with like also then claiming pain and like claiming you know, maybe ugliness claiming in a way that isn't just attempting to codify it as prettiness or something. And I think that was something, but truly like, like maybe kind of accepting it or push, putting it up for possibility or something. And so that was something that I think really sort of changed the way that I was thinking about about my work and about representation and about what I wanted my work to do. And like the way that I was sort of like, I don't think it, I was already feeling like I had already been like, I don't think my stakes are in representation because that seems like a, you know, you're never going to represent enough. And that's not a project that I think I personally wanted to I wanted to take on like I was just like that just doesn't seem like it's a project that's gonna be able to come to a resolution ever so I um need to find something else to think about <laughs> like I need to find something else to be the to be the um to be this to be the the struggle or something or to be the like the question um that generates new questions and not because I don't it just didn't, you know, it was more that I think it felt like for me, the, you know, representation as being the main stake of the work, like, was something that wouldn't be able to generate new pictures. And if I'm doing this, or new modes of making pictures. And so if I'm doing this, because, 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 like, if, you know, because it essentially renders the like I felt that this is just all my opinion but I felt that representation as the primary stake essentially rendered the portrait meaningless except as a kind of token of inclusion and so you know at that point like what the picture looks like doesn't matter it just matters that it exists so it becomes far more like a conceptual project and and I sort of wasn't I'm not interested in that type of conceptual project, but generally in conceptual projects. I'm more interested in projects that are um, born of a kind of, you know, are more visceral. Like I'm not interested in the kind of thinking. Um, not not that I'm not. <laughs> I love that there's a pull quote of me saying I'm not interested in thinking. Um, uh, available now, but um, I'll take it out. But what I mean by that is like, <laughs> no, it's fine. I think it's totally fine. But I think you know, what I mean by that is like where the art happens for me is in, in the body and in my sort of relationship to space and relationship to people. And it doesn't happen in my head. 
And I don't see the process of making pictures as executing an idea. Um, I see it as a investigative playground all into itself. Um, and so in, in the process of making. And so I think that's a kind of like distinction that it's taken me up to now to be able to like fully articulate that why I think and, and connect it to modes of art making more so than a kind of refusal or something, because it's not that I don't agree. I, you know, it's not that I don't agree with that. It's just not, that's not the satisfying project for me. And, and it also feels like a kind of never ending it's a never ending project. And I was just kind of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only alive for like a finite amount of time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'd like to feel a sense of accomplishment before death. <laughs> <that's> so, <laughs> so that's why representation is not my project. <laughs> that's a dramatic motive. Like, I I just I mean there is so much in what you just said but I've got to come back to like that user like your students using shame that is fascinating to me as as the primary that's really interesting and it's so funny you say that because I'm in the middle of like researching an article an essay I don't know like I don't know what it's going to be right now but I started to observe like this younger generation of artists and image makers who I started off thinking it was about like turning the inside out or like being in search of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But it, but it was more than that. It was, it was like, I've seen mm-hmm. so much work recently that is so brutally intimate and just in, in, in a, a lot of shame, interestingly, like there's shame, there's like all yeah. these really difficult uh, confluences of of life experience in, in all different contexts, right? Not just about being queer, like in all different, you know, in mental health, in in domestic violence, but just this the, this level of like this generation, the level they're willing to to go to to make this work. Mm-hmm. And and I feel, I mean, the work's really powerful because how could it not be if you're going to that length? Mm-hmm. You just really captivated me when you you were talking about their take because I find that so interesting. Like it really does seem to be a shift, like something happening with that generation that, are re- yeah, is really... Oh, definitely. That, yeah. Oh my God. That's blown my yeah. mind. Thank you. Building on what you were just saying about process, I am, I'm really interested in your process because you have kind of built this quite unique framework which feels very intrinsic to who you are and how you think about the world in terms of how you are making art and I guess one of the places to start is what you just touched upon in that you don't sort of develop an idea and then photograph it you lead with yeah relationships or an image you've taken and I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about how a bigger body of work emerges from that. And I know you don't think about it in those sort of uh, specific terms, but just how a group of images, like, you know, the example that you were talking about, the upcoming yeah. show, how, how does that manifest in that framework? There's two things that, one of the things was that I think like when I was first sort of trying to like move away from maybe a, a mode of like thinking about like projects, uh, work is like projects or something is like with a definitive end and a definitive, definitive start was just that like, that wasn't just, I was noticing that like I was having a hard time fitting into that because that wasn't how I was working. So like things I was noticing that like a certain shift in my work would take place, like from, you know, it would start slowly and then it would kind of come in and it would almost be like a kind of sea change where like, all of a sudden, then all of the pictures are like, you know, have moved from being 
black and white and, um, you know, horizontal to then being color and vertical. And like, that was like, you know, not just something that I was like, I'm just going to do this one day, but it was something where I was, I had been trying to make a picture and the solution that was like, that came, that resulted from that attempt to make the picture later when I was working with the image, I had taken it in black and white. And then when I was looking at the color, I was like, Oh, this is actually doing something I'm much more attracted to. So then next time, let me like make something in color. So it was really this process of kind of like, you know, I started to notice that I was, I was um, responding really well to this process of like making the next picture sort of out of the knowledge of what I had just kind of done in a previous image or something. And so then um, I was like, okay, so that, you know, I ended up kind of transitioning into maybe a different mode of working that way and finding like a new kind of project problem to solve. And then as I started showing more, I started to have a kind of relationship to the way that certain images um, would then like stick around or something or like they would kind of like they would become like the image that then other things would respond to. And so now, like I, you know, when I did the kind of biennial, I was like, oh, okay, I want to do that really consciously. And so for what I showed with the biennial, I had kind of developed all of those images, like sort of with each other, like one of, I'd taken one of them and it was kind of sticking around because it wasn't necessarily related to what I had been doing like four months before, but it was really kind of like, you know, but it stayed and then another image came and became like a, a logical pair for it. And then another image became a logical pair for that. And so they started to kind of stick to each other. And then when I was doing that, I was sort of like the next project that I worked on, or not even actually the next project that I worked on, but um, later project, I was like, you know, I really, I took this in one direction, but what happens if I go in the other direction? And so I went in a completely different direction with the same photograph, which is the photograph of the testosterone. And so that image had been the starting point for the work that I did at the Whitney Biennial. And then it was also the starting point for this body of work that was then later shown at the um, Carnegie Museum of Art in Pittsburgh, um, where that image then was taken into a much more sort of um, surreal direction like the world around that image then became much more surreal and then there was an image of Ashley my partner in the Carnegie show that I then was feeling like I was like man you know that picture like I don't know and as I was sort of combing through my work my like recent kind of photographs I remembered I went through a fold the folder of those images and I kind of was going through them I was looking at them and I landed on another image that was much more like that image was much more like um coy in some ways uh, it had it was holding its secrets back a little bit more than the other image of her which was giving them more up front and I became interested in that. And so then that image then combined with another image of my friend Vincent that had also kind of just missed the, you know, just to miss the edit for the Carnegie show that ended up sticking around. And then those two portraits became the cornerstones for, you know, another group of pictures that I showed this summer at Commonwealth and Council. And then all of this work I'm kind of thinking as related. So it's not like, you know, one showing is like one, like, uh, project. It's more like just like an update or something. Mm, continue. And then so for this show at the 
Yeah, it's just kind of continued, and that just makes it takes the pressure off too. And I think like um, you know, for the show at forty seven, like I'm taking certain. I took like four images. Like the way that I like literally started was that I just took four images that were just sticking in my mind that I hadn't been like able to find a place for, but there was something about them. And I don't know if that specific image is going to be in the show, but it went up on the wall and then everything is just made in response to that. So then like other images are just made in response to that. And also in response to like images of like artists that I love. Like I think a lot about Peter Hujar. I think a lot about Eugene Ajay. I think a lot about, um, Jan Groover, like I'm thinking a lot about like Graciela Itrabide. And so those are kind of like, you know, that's the kind of grant, like uh, grandparents of the, of the work or something, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then that's, what's kind of then also up on the wall and then life just happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so then your life is happening and then you're just responding to it. And so that sort of allows for, you know, and, and putting it all kind of together, I feel like is something that for a long time I really wanted because I didn't want that kind of separation that I had been describing between like, you know, this project is about this and this project is about this. And like, that felt always like it was something that was, it, it made me feel fragmented. And for a long time, I think my own personal artistic project was just trying to sort of like find a way in my art to be whole and um and to be able to like honor myself as like a kind of whole person and so that was like you know i think this is this strategy is sort of born out of that desire and yeah i'll send you a picture of my studio because i think that's like really the um you know especially like right now what's kind of on the wall is sort of a you know it's not what's it's not what the show is going to look like but some of the things but it will be condensed into images that will then be the show mm-hmm. and then we'll just start over, you know? And so that's kind of the, you just have to rebuild it every single time. I wanted to just talk a little bit about the landscape work that you've been making over the last few years and how on one level you're kind of interested in this as a sort of metaphor for the body, like we've talked about before. And mm-hmm. I just thought it's it's just so fascinating this thinking about it as this emblem for an ever shifting kind of transformation and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how how and when you started to draw those parallels yeah that's a really great question Mm. thinking about it a little bit I think it started to come yeah it started to come into the work around like late 2017 early 18 and I think I was just interested at first in the way it wasn't even so much landscape it was just like a ground like a kind of ground that seemed to do something visceral and bodily that could have a somatic relationship to the other pictures and also to the viewer and I remember not really understanding kind of why I was doing it and and there was a photograph I remember that my friend Bryson Rand had looked at and he was like, you know, he was like, this is, he was like, there's something about this one that feels different. And that, that really stuck out in my mind for a long time because I didn't know what he meant and I didn't know why that he would pick that, why he would have picked that picture. And 
he said a couple other things and I don't remember, like, I, I just remember feeling like unsure. And so in my response to his kind of how sure he was and how unsure I was, I was like, okay, I guess I better keep this picture around because there's something happening that I don't understand. And so it made its way into this body of work that I showed in 2018 at 47 Canal in Bloom. It was the only black and white picture that was on view. And what was interesting is it was like this, it was, um, it's this photograph that, that's called um, Soft Stone. And it's like these weathered rocks in Central Park where you can see the kind of striations of the rock that are like going down into the water. Um, and the rocks kind of meet and then the water sort of meets and it gets really milky and it's kind of mysterious. And it was printed as a silver gelatin and it sort of hid camouflage in the show because you would expect those rocks to be gray and then they were, you know, and they were in the picture and then you would see everything else in color, but then come back around to it and realize that it was like the only black and white photograph in the show. And so it was kind of hiding in plain sight in a way. And then that led to that picture then led to another picture that was also in the same show which was because I was like oh well maybe I should just kind of follow this line of thinking and start thinking about you know thinking about rocks thinking about grounds and I was in Puerto Rico and I was visiting my family and I was photographing and I was looking through this um, old supermarket that had sort of fallen apart and um, I was walking through it and I noticed that on the concrete foundation that was left that had been exposed to the sky, it had looked like somebody had painted this red over it. And then that had through all of this time, uh, water, rainstorms, you know, had degraded enough that it was re really kind of coming across as like a very interesting, like it was just, it looked so visceral, it looked so bodily, it looked like blood, it looked like it had been like beat up, it looked like it had um you know had something really intense happen to it and and so I photographed that and for a minute I was sort of like well I don't really know like what you know I just don't know like what these two things are doing the second photograph that I was describing ended up becoming a pair part of a pair with um another photograph that's called Dick and so that was there was like it which is basically a picture of in that has blood, like a blood uh, water line on it. And those two images kind of together did something for me that my work hadn't done before. It was kind of like a new gesture that I hadn't ever explored or hadn't thought about how pictures, I, I just hadn't done it before. And it was really kind of like, really deeply affected me. And I started to think about, you know, okay, like, how do I do that again? And like, and then I think those two threat, like, you know, the threat of um, how creating a kind of relationship between these two types of images or like this one mode of working and another mode of working and then doing something together in, you know, in partner that they couldn't do or that they wouldn't be able to do individually on their own, I thought was really interesting kind of talking about like, a, you know, and for those two pictures, like maybe talking about a kind of experience of intimacy that is complicated, that contains uh, aggression, but 
and intensity, but maybe not violence, but also has echoes of violence that linger in the corners and maybe inform the understanding of both the work and the desire. And that was, yeah. And then I think the next moment that the work kind of really started to come in together with landscape was then I had another pair that came together, which was a bottle of testosterone and which was illuminated by a light kind of shining through it. And it was turned on its side and it, you can't read the label, you can't see anything, but it sort of looks like this, you know, magical substance. And the way that the light is positioned, like the hand is kind of almost like see-through. Like you can you can see like the the kind of um, translucency of the skin and like light coming through it. And so it seems like everything has been illuminated perhaps by this like mysterious subject uh, substance. And then that photograph lived for a while by itself. And then I made an image of a platano palm in my great aunt's backyard in Puerto Rico that had the sun kind of coming through the leaves and it lit up the stem. And um, it seems like it was kind of, it it had this kind of bodily resonance that also um, I felt like paired well with attempting to show like, it paired well with the testosterone. And for me, they started to do something that I, I recognized from the first pair that I described where I was like, oh, like this is starting to do something where it can talk about an experience, a bodily experience that is very specific, but often difficult to, to image when you're, when you're looking directly at it or something. It's not something that like you could point a camera lens directly at and achieve the kind of nuance because I had made a series of photographs almost like a decade before when I was in college. My friend who is the illustrator, Jules Ruiz, we were roommates at the time and Jules had asked me to make photographs of him while he started testosterone. And, you know, we were like all excited for this project that we were doing together. And then we get to the end of like, you know, we were like, oh, let's do it for six weeks, <laughs> which <laughs> which now I think is like cute. Like and now I'm like, oh my God, guys, what did you think was going to happen? But we didn't know at the time and nobody else was, you know, nobody certainly was telling us. So we get to the end of the six weeks and like nothing has changed. Like we're documenting these, like we've like, you know, we've taken like kind of bodybuilder type poses, like where we're doing like from the front, from the side, biceps, back, like, you know, we're, and they all look the same. <laughs> they all look the same. And we're like, yeah, maybe you're, Maybe your bicep got like a little strong. Like, you know, we're like really like stretching. Like we're trying to find Aww. something. It was cute. And then we were like, okay, let's do it till the end of the semester. And then we're like, you know, we keep going. And and ultimately like not much changed. Like we could see change, but it was like, you know, that. And then at the same time, like Jules was undergoing like, you know, but it was, I think part of the tension was that like Jules had felt like a lot had changed for him in that period of time. And then when, you know, we pointed a camera directly at it, nothing had, um, you know, we felt like, like nothing had changed in this way that made us think about, you know, well, what, how would you even, you know, I guess at that moment in time and like, that must've been like 2009, we were like, huh, I guess this isn't something you can photograph. And then, I think coming back to that a decade later and finding a different strategy that didn't have the body depicted in full or 
in this way where it was the only thing doing the work, it allowed me to kind of talk about that sort of change with, in a very direct way that also had a lot of, I think, possibility in the way that it was, you could read it in a lot of different ways. And, and so I think like in terms of, you know, and now, like, I think that line of thinking has led me to thinking about photographs in a way where I'm working, sometimes working with a, another organic body. So like a plant that I can manipulate the space around via the camera and it still retains a kind of recognizability but you also don't know and because of the variability of like I don't know like plants or tree roots or like the ground at any given moment the ocean like there's always a kind of space where you don't quite always know you don't know and like there leaves a space where there can be some some shoulder room for like mystery or something where it's like you know because there is a one level of familiarity but like plant life is this kind of ever iterative thing like it becomes possible to play with recognition and confusion in a way that I think and you know kind of the body or the suggestion of a body or the way that something is making you feel the viewer feel in their own body and that becomes kind of possible in this way that I'm really interested in and also like then just thinking through all of the ways that you know I think this is so funny too like you follow a line somewhere and you feel like you're following the craziest you're like I don't know this doesn't feel like me and I need I'm just going to follow it and I'm it's you know in a very weird place and then after you follow that long enough it all kind of comes back it all kind of comes back around so I think the things that I'm doing right now mm, have like a kind of for the show that I'm working on this spring, um, they have an interesting relationship to some of my earlier work. And I think I'm interested in seeing exactly like how those things kind of continue to come together. (laughs) I love, I love that idea of like surrendering to the, the process, the intuition, just, just being like it, 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 it's Mm -hmm. people don't talk about it that much, but it feels like that's such a huge part of this. Oh yeah. You know, because it both, it's simultaneous as it's like, you have to learn, you have to learn something. And I think that's one of the things that I've been, I've realized every year more and more is that like the things that are like the things that are unresolved, the things that are unknown, the things that make me uncomfortable, the things that I don't get, those are the things I need to be like, those are the things I need to be focusing on and like thinking about and also pushing myself to like kind of work through or explore because otherwise it's just kind of like a, there isn't as much, there's not as much reward in just restating something you already know. I wanted to ask you about proximity and how I'm always fascinated about how people, how people and if people think about audience or their viewer Mm, mm -hmm. and obviously in your work there's this real genuine intimacy between you and your collaborator that you're inviting the viewer into and I was just curious how you think about your relationship with the viewer or if you think about that 
Yeah, I mean, I think about it, you know, it's, I think of the work as having a kind of like circular relationship. So I, um, you know, the viewer to me is not a passive body. It just like has never been. And I don't, and so when I think about the viewer, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about people who are seeing the work and who are talking to me and who are in the work and who are, have a relationship to the work and a stake in the work in a way that, that is also related to their own like motivations, like what they want also from the pictures and whether that's like just a feeling or what you learn from looking at a photograph of yourself or if it's, you know, sometimes like a project that a friend, you know, a couple friends and I are working on right now. One of the things that I'm excited about is that they are going to have, the images will have a separate life. <laughs> like the, the image, these images are going to live two different lives mm. and I'm excited for those images to be able to kind of have a utility for my friends and then also have a also continue to be considered as photographs that to me feels really good it feels like the best way of making making work because it's it's in it's in a community and it's not distinct like the work isn't distinct the relationships aren't distinct the viewer isn't distinct and and I'm not distinct from from the other from like the communities or the the ways that the work is made or something and that just feels like a good way of of working for me and it's something that I've I've tried like a long time to kind of like both get to and get back to I think I was very fortunate that kind of thinking was or that kind of framework was like the way that I came into art, but also simultaneously I had to learn to recognize like, that framework as well <laughs> um, and understand that it was a framework and that that was a choice. And, you know, I was very lucky, but there were also like, there are also things that made that be such a generative space. Um, and that those are things that I can bring into other spaces and other modes of working that, will that allow me to kind of keep exploring and keep going in the rest of my life because I think you know what you're doing at 15 and what you're doing at 30 are necessarily going to be really different (laughs) and so um you know so keeping a way of making or figuring out how to make work that allows you to keep your or maintain or develop like ethics that are true to you while also being able to like have the freedom to kind of go and explore subjects that feel like you know absolutely confounding all of that feels like it's I don't know I felt that's the part of like getting to it and then also like getting back to it and realizing like oh there's actually like a real um privilege in the way that I was brought up to understand art and how can I bring that to other people or how that, how can I bring that to other spaces that I'm in um, or continue that line of ethics in the work that I'm making today. I love that. That's yeah, so that's powerful. I love viewers. <laughs> like, I'm like, I have um, a viewer. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's the funny thing, isn't it? We're all viewers and consumers and totally. makers. Are you ready? Okay. How do you deal with self-doubt? 
Oh, quick fire. I have to answer quickly. How do I deal with self-doubt? Oh, I mean, mm. I just get around other people. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be alone. (laughs) That's very good advice. (laughs) Unisolate. That's actually really genius advice, actually. Tell somebody. Yeah, (laughs) tell anybody. Uh, Tell literally anyone. (laughs) What does success look like for you? Oh, my God. These are, like, so deep, dude. Does everyone just, is everyone just like, oh, my God. Or no, some people just shut up and do the assignment. Okay. Um, No, to be honest, I think (sighs) Kathy Opie is the only person who did the assignment. I can, you know, that's so funny that, because I was thinking, I was like, I bet Kathy Opie did this correctly. Because at that <laughs> point, you just have so much confidence in your, like, in your answers, like, or something. hundred um, yeah. percent. What does success look like to you? I mean, I think developing a kind of emotional resilience that allows for me to continue to stay engaged in my work and in the world. And in my relationships, <clears throat> while also being able to have fun and maybe less self self doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it's all interconnected. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> you've had such an incredible career so far. I'm curious if there's anything you've had to unlearn along the way. I think the notion of should. Um, thinking about what I should do or what I, you know, what should be happening or something. I think that's something that I had to unlearn. And, uh, and that's been a really, that was a really good lesson. It's, it's a continual process, but yeah. I'm violently nodding. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Okay. Last quick fire. Do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness? I I think, yeah. I mean, we live in them all the time. Our whole life is comprised of photographs at this moment, you know? It's, yeah. um, they definitely do. I think, I think people, I think maybe like the distinction or like one of the things about when people say that photographs can't or something they're maybe thinking about art photographs. I think that that's also not true, but I think one of the things that we have right now is a real culture of quick consumption and Mm. photographs that are having the most impact are photographs that are often very quickly consumed. And when you do that, you don't, you don't realize all the ways that it's working on you or it's already, it's like a very effective virus sometimes that gets into your brain that like works on you before you can recognize what you're looking at or something. And I think Instagram is like that for a lot of people. And I don't think, I think it's like, you know, it's not a, not, um, un, there's definitely like a correlation and definitely like a causation between like Instagram and anxiety and self-doubt and should and, the way that it can play into that using photographs to make you feel or to exploit the kind of ways that you can feel not, not enough. And I think, so I think the photographs definitely are shifting 
they're really affecting how we think, affecting what we do, affecting how we treat each other, how we think of other people, how we think of ourselves like every single day. And I feel like the more that, um, yeah, like I wonder how to explore that power. I think that's one of the things that makes photography like such an amazing medium to like be to use as an artist is like you have all of this raw material with the way that like the world is structured. Like it's this material is not distinct from like your daily life. It's like part of the one of the main mediums that structures your daily life at this point in 2021. So it's like an incredible gift to be able to think philosophically about that through through photographs. Um, yeah, so that's how I kind of think about that. To finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that's what do you enjoy more, the process of making the work or the final photograph? Oh, man, both. <laughs> I mean, there's you can say about, both. Yeah, there's something about having it. But there's also something about looking. <laughs> and when you get it like when you like you know when you're looking for it and you're trying to do it I mean it's like the photograph is just the reward for the process you know it's like it's like when you get like uh (laughs) you know my my girlfriend had me play this game recently on the Nintendo Switch which was uh I think it was like Yoshi's Cardboard Island or something and it was like so cute And like one of the things that you do is you like, you just get these, you're trying to like get these coins and you're also trying to get, you're trying to get something else. So you can, you're just like amassing something so that you can like throw them. I can't remember what they are. They're like eggs or something. And it just, sometimes it just feels like that. Like you're just like work, you're just working through the world and trying to kind of like create, like just, just like everything that you do, you're just like, okay, this photograph, it's like, this is one like moment from that one moment from that one moment for that and like the more that you you know the harder you think the more you look the more you put it out like the more that you engage with the pictures that you're making like the more that they tell you and like that is just like you know so it really is there the pictures are like part of the process for me and they're not like the end point and it's almost like sad when they go up on the wall because that that chapter's over but it's also I experience this and I'm sure a lot of people do where you're like just by the process of doing a show or pulling a group of pictures together you then realize everything that was wrong with the way that you were thinking about it (laughs) you have to do it again you're like all right gotta do this again (laughs) that's not right <laughs> they're just like, oh boy, like here we go, let's do this. You know, we gotta, uh, yeah, you like, you know, it's, it's almost like the worst because when you finish, you have to start over, which is, but you want to, you know, and that's beautiful. I love that moment too. That's such a great moment of just being like, clean slate, what are we doing now? Yeah. That's <laughs> an amazing moment. Yeah. And a terrifying one, but like mostly, I've been like more into the amazingness of it lately. That's good energy. Um, thank you so much, Elle. Honestly, it's always such a joy to talk to you. Seriously, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. You ask such amazing questions. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.